Hello everyone, this is Sakib Ali hosting the show. Welcome you uh, for a special episode of Tennis with an Accent. Uh, today uh, we have the absolute joy of bringing 1990 Roland Garros uh, champion Andres Gomez. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a huge opportunity to talk about someone who was uh, uh, such a good player back in his day, ranked as high as number four, won a slam beating Andre Agassi. But his career was a lot, little more than uh, those wins, so uh, we hope to get those uh, topics covered. Uh, welcome to the show, Andres. Good morning. Thank you very much. Happy to, to be in it. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm a fan of the sport, and uh, when I get a chance to talk to someone like you, uh, I, I just get down you know, to the fan level right away. So yours is a name that I, when I was in India growing up, I saw that name a lot in the newspapers. Then I saw you play in Roland Garros final against Andre Agassi. Uh, and if I'm, I mean, I, I'll start here. I mean, you won that tournament. Uh, that was a huge year. You had won a couple of tournaments coming in in Barcelona and Madrid. And then you lost to Mooster in Rome. Uh, but is it fair to say you, some of your best years were from 85 to 87 level-wise? You think the level was higher in those three years? Uh, well, that 84 was a pretty good year to me too. So I would say that the beginning 84 it was more of a, that, um, a consolidation of the year. That was the first time um, I, I got on the, the top 10 and won five titles. I got to the quarters of uh, uh, the three slams I played in uh, uh, Roland Garros, uh, Wimbledon and the US Open. So... So I was pretty solid there in uh, in the top five for uh, for a couple of years, and and then um, of course I always played doubles too, and uh, that was a big part of my game. Also, um, uh, I really enjoyed it playing tennis, but uh, uh, playing the doubles. But uh, um, the 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 later part of my career uh, probably got the, the bigger wins, and uh, and that's what uh, what it counts. But uh, the early part, uh, you know, that, that, that was different and difficult because uh, I wasn't really expecting to be a, um, a, pro, a, a pro tennis player. I, was, uh, I wanted it to be, but I, I wanted to, be, to have a different um, uh, career going to, uh, to, to the pro tour. I wanted to go to college and uh, play the, uh, college tennis in the U.S., uh, but uh, I had to make a few changes because uh, by the end of uh, uh, the time I was 19, I was in the top uh, 90, top 100 in the world, and uh, I decided not to skip it. But uh, yeah, then uh, obviously uh, at the end, I won the, uh, won the, the Roland Garros title, and, and, and always it's going to you know be the top thing that uh, people look up to for. Uh, absolutely. Winning a, a major Grand Slam is always huge. And uh... And like I mentioned, you had some good results coming into Roland Garros. So, uh, what, when did it click in that fortnight? I mean, you had made the quarterfinals twice before losing to Lendl in 86 and 87. So, during that run in 1990, when did you think this could be your, you know, this could be the year when uh, you can get it done or you were just taking it match by match? Well, uh, and actually, I, I lost to Lendl in the 84 quarters, too, and I lost to him in the second round on the uh, 81. And um, and he won the tournament a couple of times in those uh, four, four times he beat me there and uh, got to the finals in 81, losing to, uh, to Bork in five. So um, not seeing Lendl's name on the draw was, uh, you know, uh, a big scene for me because uh, there was the time to prove that... Uh, uh, if I lost to him so many times in, uh, in, in that particular tournament, you know, it was my time to, to, to try to do it. So I have something to prove. And uh, uh, I had close matches with him and I always was saying kind of uh, what would have happened if I, you know, been in the other side of the draw, or maybe meeting a little, you know, like in the semis instead of the quarters. And, and uh, my career probably would be different too. And uh, But uh, going then into the, into the, uh, the 1990 tournament uh, wasn't more uh, more of a you know a 10-year career going into the 11th uh, 11 11th, 11th time playing um, at the French and uh, um, had a lot of experience uh, good and bad going there and playing there winning matches losing some matches and. Uh, 
and sometimes coming up uh, short. So uh, uh, coming in, in in 1990 with two wins in Barcelona and Madrid, and you know and wins before two in the summer in the in the states. And, a bit Agassi, a bit Milander, a bit Chesnokov, and a bit Booster. So I don't, you know, basically all, all the guys who were there, you know, were beautiful. And uh, for me, kind of Lender was like a stone in that, and um, it was difficult to get, to beat him, especially at, at, at five sets. And uh, uh, so coming into into this year's uh, tournament, I, I was very confident, playing well, healthy, and uh, and happy. Yeah, that's uh, that's very candid of you. So we'll come back to Lendl maybe a little later in the show. So uh, let's talk about the '90 win. What did uh, did it change things for you personally, and how big was it? Was that of an event back home in Ecuador? Well, but, um, after 10 years in the tour and winning some of the big tournaments. Uh, um, the people started to say, well, you know, okay, yeah, we know you're good, but uh, why can't you win a, a Grand Slam? So it's uh, always pushing to that and uh, and uh, always uh, sticks to your head that, uh, that um, obviously winning the Slam, it, it, makes, uh, it makes the career and, uh, and um, you know, uh, going... 30 and getting older and at that time 30 was more like 34, 35 this, uh, this uh, well, right now and so I was reaching to my last couple of years on the tour and uh, and uh, we gave it a, a good go with uh, with Pato Rodriguez uh, my coach and um, we set up a, you know, a nice schedule, actually the best 12 months I had were from uh, Wimbledon 89 to uh, uh, French uh, 1990. I won like six tournaments in that stretch and I, I went from 25 to four. And um, uh, I always had the, um, obviously the desire, I had the game and uh, I just didn't have the, the, the luck to get to, uh, get to have a chance, get to have a, an opening to get a breakthrough, you know, uh, I wasn't, um, I wasn't uh, a guy that was going to win probably many Grand Slams because, uh, you know, Wimbledon it was hard for us playing on, on grass. Um, I was a bit disappointed about not doing better at the Open and uh, because I played okay on, I played good on, on, on hard parts, but uh, um, this was my last chance and, and, and to win one and, uh, and uh, we made a, you know, a very nice push to it, and, uh, and like I said, I got a couple of lucky breaks uh, during the two and a half months that I was in Europe uh, that gave me the opportunity to reach the tournament in you know in my best shape, not only physically but mentally. Yeah, I mean, you you turned pro in '79, uh, and the way the game was played back then, you played, uh, you came in and even played, I think, Nastasi in a match. You played Borg. And then, of course, Lendl McEnroe, you know, these guys were your age group, Willander slightly young. And when you left the tour, how was the game different in those 13 years uh, you played? Did it change much? Yeah, of course. I started playing with small rackets. And um, and um, and I kind of like, uh, I, I will say my game will suit up pretty good for uh, for uh, for this this time of uh, the way the game is played now, uh, I didn't like uh, long rallies. Um, uh, you know, more of my rallies were trying to go five, nine, you know, no more than that. And uh, that's the way the, the game is played. Obviously, you have uh, changes where, uh, where, uh, where points are going longer and, you know, you always have those. And uh, and um, I was capable of, uh, of doing that too. But... Um, the game um, is changing in so many ways, not, not only on on the court, but uh, you know outside the court. Uh, the nutrition, the uh, psychology, uh, the, the treatment, the prevention of injuries, and and, and, and the treatment of injuries are, are probably the the part where, where where the game is improved the most to uh, to get the best out of players and um, and to recover players uh, the, the best way from one match to another. That's why you have guys, you know, playing a lot of the guys uh, over 
32, 33, you know, playing playing probably the best tennis of their career. And, you know, some of those guys are uh, in the top 10 right now. The game did get um, much more physical and powerful, um, basically because uh, uh, rackets rackets and strings did a good job of getting uh, the game um, a lot faster. Uh, but then uh, also the, the game was starting to get uh, too fast and a lot of uh, big servers were coming um, uh, coming in and uh, uh, the game was getting starting to get, you know, too short and uh, too fast, not too many rallies and the, and the indoors and the hardcores were getting um, very, very fast. So uh, they decided to to slow down the course a little and now the, basically... Uh, all courts played about the same on on speed, on height, on the bounce, and uh, and only maybe the slight differences on sliding on clay, and not that much on uh, on, uh, on the hard courts. Uh, so I would say that is the, the, the you know you, you get more all around players, but from the back of the court, uh, the net game is really come down and. Uh, and I'll say that in the next few years, that there is where it's going to be the difference for the for the top guys to to get into the into the main rankings. Mm, that's quite interesting. So uh, back back in the day, was there a period in time like I know in my watching, I started watching when Boris Becker came on, and a lot of people believe he, he was one of the big servers. So, is that where in the mid-80s the trend started changing for bigger servers? I know there was Roscoe Tanner, some of the other guys were there before him. Uh, Slobodan Sivajinovic was there. You won US Open with him, I think, uh, doubles. Uh, yeah. So, he was another big server. So, when did the game in your career start changing? What were some of those uh, uh, turning points? Because the game resets itself, like you said. You know, now in the future we may see again people coming to the net. But what was the time frame or period in your career when you uh, uh, started seeing the game is changing? Or even Lendl's power tennis. I mean, let's talk about that too. Um, well, that um, the, the, the clay court was played, you know, um, very slow. And, uh, and, uh, but uh, if you get to see some matches, uh, uh, there were great counter pouchers. Um, they will, you know, you start playing fast, and they will, they, they, you know, they, they will play better. Uh, a lot of patience, and uh, and uh, but at the, but that patience was uh, finishing the patience of the of the fans because they, they felt like the game was uh, was getting uh, was getting to be too slow. So uh, uh, when uh, um, when you start having guys like. Uh, like Uncle, like Clark, uh, or like um, like Noah, or like uh, even Becker, Lendl, myself, you know that those start, you know, hitting the ball with the, with power from the from the base, and the game started to change, and that came along with the with the rackets being um, a little bit bigger too. Uh, uh, I'll say that uh, before that. Uh, the difference on the court, uh, the, the clay being very slow with heavy balls, and the, and the, for example, the U.S. Open, the first few years, a uh, uh, flushing medals uh, uh, with the very light and small balls that uh, were really, really fast. So you got guys like uh, Tanner or Jerulaitis, you know, going deep into the tournaments, and of course you had guys like Connor, Sam McEnroe, winning, winning, winning all the titles at the beginning. And uh, that set the trend for the for the Americans to uh, to develop uh, a different kind of players, and they started getting the players like uh, like Sampras or like Courier or like Agassi, uh, that were kind of like uh, big hitters, and uh, but also uh, uh, in this in the in the Sampras side, uh, you know, big servers. Um, the trend uh, changed a little. With uh, with uh, you know with Becker coming along, but you also had guys like Kevin Curran or Steve Denton uh, or Hank Fister or Victor Amaya. They were big servers and 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 and, and, but they, and they used the court a lot. 
but then the, the, the returns are starting getting better too. So, um, like you said, you know, the, the game starts to reset itself into a, into a, the, the different players are coming. And, you you know, like a, you, you, you got to learn how to um, um, to fight against these, uh, these players, especially when, when they come along, the, 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 the huge servers uh, like uh, uh, Ivanisevic and... And Krajicek and, and and guys like that that were making a you know a big impact in the game and and Greg Ruseski just to, to, to name a, name a few and uh, and, uh, and and then uh, you know you needed to develop uh, some sort of a better uh, way of. Uh, uh, returning and, and getting into better position to, to take control of the point of their self too. Now you make a very interesting point about uh, the lighter balls at the Flushing Meadow where Connors and McIndoe were winning. And I live in America now for the last 25 years. And uh, the big topic here has been uh, the similar kind of play. And after Roddick, America hasn't produced uh, a world-class player. They're promising juniors, but uh, they're not in the same light as you know some of the other young guys like Sitsipas or Zverev and Thiem. Yeah. Uh, so let me ask you, it's a, it's a layered question. Uh, so when you grew up, uh, your foundation, the, t- the tennis you learned, was it very similar to the European style because of clay? Uh, you didn't rely just on serve and the big sh- one big shot. So talk about that coaching style that helped you become the player. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, my, my game was, uh, even though I was in South American clay, my game was more like American type of play. Uh I was uh, aggressive from the baseline, and, and, I, and I liked it going to the net. Growing up, being a, a 14, 15, 16-year-old uh, uh, player, uh, and my game was different in South America. Um, uh, I went to uh, Florida, uh, to Hopman's Academy, um, and I played the, the national tournaments in the U.S. I didn't go to, to, uh, to Europe until uh, I was... Uh, uh, 19. Uh, so uh, I, I grew up gr- uh, seeing guys like, uh, I don't know, uh, Cliff Ritchie, uh, Arthur Ash, Connors, of course, uh, uh, Stan Smith. And, and, and so that, that's, uh, that's uh, that, that I was trying to get my game more to that. Obviously, we, we, we love Nastasi and hear all the things about him here in, uh, in the South America. But then the big breakthrough was when uh, when Vilas came along and, and uh, I was maybe 12, 13 the first time I saw him and uh, and uh, he gave us the belief that uh, that uh, that South Americans we could do well and, uh, and win championships in uh, in uh, in the world and uh, and then of course uh, he won for the uh, the Australian and the U.S. Open and when he won for his heels that was the, the huge impact in tennis in South America. Although he was uh, uh, my idol and some, someone that I look up to, uh, my game was quite differently from, from him. And, um, and, uh, and I used to try to uh, um, uh, incorporate some of, some of the scenes that he had, and, and, but try to adapt it to the, uh, to the aggressive kind of game that I, that I had. So um, I wouldn't say my I was brought up in some sort of way. I kind of like always felt like I was different from uh, from from most of the players, and that I probably I was a little bit ahead of the of, 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 of the way that uh, the game was played. And I took my chances a lot. Um, if you if you um, look at the statistics in the in the Agassi match in the in, in Roland Garros in 19, the finals, uh, had like uh, 68 winners uh, against uh, 48 or 50 on four servers. And, uh, and uh, uh, so that tells you that, I, you know, that I was kind of like going for shots and not, you know, and, and, and winning the high percentage of those, you know, the higher percentage of those. And that was the kind of game that I had to play. Maybe it would look better to have uh, uh, 22 winners and uh, eight on-force errors and uh, 
but the match pro probably would have been 6-3, Agassi. No, uh, definitely. I think tennis is also all about matchups. So, I mean, uh, let me take this conversation further. Uh, let's bring Lendl into this picture now. And you, you were very honest about, you know, that, you know, you played your best tennis, but you wish he was on the other side of the draw. And today, Nadal is a much towering figure in Roland Garros. You know, you can't even think of a title without him. You know, so, so of course, Lendl only won three times. But to talk about his dominance in that era, was he the best player that you ever played against? and Or was it just a matchup? Because I see you only played McEnroe once, right? Yeah, uh, well, that, well the, 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 the way the, the uh, rankings were set up on, on, on those days, uh, uh, you know, uh, you didn't need to play the, the, uh, the, and the bigger events were on the, uh, on, on, or either on hard courts or indoors. And, and actually, I would say indoors were, were what the most money was and the, uh, um, and where the more the most points were too. Philadelphia, the U.S. Pro Indoor was a huge tournament. Um, Seiko Indoor was a huge tournament, and then obviously uh, you had Milan and Frankfurt and Brussels and Rotterdam, all big tournaments. And uh, and then on the other side on clay, you just had a few. You had Rome and Hamburg, and then. Uh, you know, uh, Barcelona at the beginning of the 80s was more of like, a, like a, a, you know, like a, a, a 500, an ATP 500. Um, you say that at tournaments like uh, Boston or Indianapolis were big in the States, but there were those two. And uh, there, there wasn't really much on, 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 on clay to, 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 to have the way to improve your ranking. So you had to play a lot on a... On, um, on on indoors and on 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 on, on hardcores, and um, the South Americans didn't play hardly any of those, uh, and, and they just basically were you know clay quarters, and uh, some of the Euro Europeans you know they were basically clay quarters, and 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 the ones that played hardcores they just played hardcores, so so it was really a a difference in, in surfaces. And uh, when, when I saw that and, and I said that I was in the top 20, I said, well, if I want to make a, a go to the you know, top 15 and at the top 10, I need to, 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 play, to play better or to play more tournaments on, on, on the faster course. And, uh, and that's why you see, you know, I lost seven or eight times to corners, and, uh, but I only beat him once. And uh, the, but the ones I beat him was on, on, on clay. And I always lost to him on either on hard course, very fast at the time, and by far his best his best surface. Borg I only played once, but of course Borg retired pretty early. I played him in, in, in Paris at his best. Uh, McEnroe played once because he seldom played on on, on clay. And and, and Connors and, and McEnroe they they, they skipped uh, the French a lot. Uh, and and, as, and, and I, I think that probably these days they regret not playing, you know, many more times of the way they play. Basically, they play Wimbledon and U.S. Open because Australian also was a, you know, kind of like a smaller tournament. Even if it was a, a, a Grand Slam, you know, there was a smaller tournament. And, uh, and, that, and that also probably is why you don't see uh, some of the guys from, uh, you know, that kind of Federer, Djokovic, and, and, and Nadal, they rewrote the, the records because uh, uh, beginning of the 90s, uh, you had uh, Australia being incorporated as a, as a huge Grand Slam again, and, and, and you know, back to four, four, four Grand Slam, wherever everybody played. But at, at the time, Connors and McEnroe, you, you see that their, you know, their wins, basically, Wimbledon and U.S. Open, Wimbledon and U.S. Open, uh, and uh, you see uh, also, uh, well, the board, you see Roland Garros and, and Wimbledon, and never played uh, Australia, so he stayed with 11, you know, in those seven years that he played the tour, eight years that he played the tour, he could have won, you know, at least three or four times the uh, the, uh, the the Australian Open, at least, and uh, so he would, have, he would have had 15. So that's kind of like a, a, a different way to, to, to you know, to, to, to see records like like the way, especially Grand Slams, the way they're, they're, they're doing. 
But Lendl, yes, he was, uh, we grew up together. Know him since, uh, uh, since we are 15. Janik uh, was uh, was also the, the third one. We, we're like one month separates on, on, on birthday, so we all big 6-0 this year. And uh, uh, it was funny because I, I, you know, I had a I had a bad record against Lendo, uh, but I only lost once to Yannick. And Yannick beat Lendl actually, I think, more times than Lendl beat him. So it was kind of like, uh, you know, the game, the way, that, you know, you, you set up uh, or you uh, were matched against uh, some, some some player. But against Lendl, you know, it, it was different, uh, you know, and, and uh, because he, he he grew up knowing that he was going to be a, a, a pro tennis player and, and a champion. Same way as no, I didn't know, didn't find about that uh, like uh, I was uh, 21, 22, maybe when I first won uh, uh, Rome uh, in 82, I'd say, well, you know, maybe I belong into, into the group of the top 20 or, or, or top 10. I was, I was, you know, realizing things that I was doing as I was doing them. And those guys, you know, they were growing, uh, they were 12 or 13 uh, by their federations. They were huge. Czech Federation, uh, French Federation, uh, with uh, a school of tennis that uh, that they, you know, had the result and the history that uh, that backed them up. Yeah, so that, that's quite quite an answer, and I can go uh, in different directions, and I will. But let's say one more thing on Lendl. So you won two doubles titles with Lendl. So yeah. how was uh, was he one of uh, your closest, I mean, I don't know if there's a thing called friends on tour, but did you get along? That's why you play doubles with someone. And how was that experience? Because uh, Lendl's image in the US, at least in the 80s and 90s, was like, you know, very stoic, did not mix with many players. So if you want to throw some interesting story there uh, with your memories with Lendl, you know, behind the scenes that fans would like to listen, uh, just talk about him in that light. Uh, I think we, yeah, we we won a couple of tournaments. Singer uh, that uh, Wembley, London, um, uh, and, and Sunnyvale in Harbor in uh, in Florida. Also, that was a place before the uh, before the the Kiwis Kane tournament. Uh, no, we, we we knew each other from the from the juniors, and uh, you know, Ivan outside the court, he, he was a you know, he had a um, he had a good sense of humor. He was uh, he he made a lot of jokes on the on the on the locker room, but he changed his face as soon as he was on the court. Um, playing doubles with him, uh, uh, he just came natural at one at some points, and, and he you know he was a, he, he competed hard, and, and and that was always a uh, you know something that you didn't see. Uh, many guys uh, at that time, you know, uh, taking those uh, all the way to the winning tournaments. Right? Some of them started to change a little and starting to, to look more like uh, some of the, you know, like every singles player these days. You know, they don't play doubles at all. Ivan was kind of like that, but, uh, you know, you always wanted to play uh, doubles in, uh, on grass to get some practice. You always... Uh, uh, wanted to play the doubles uh, the first tournament that you came back to hard course to, to get to get rid of for him. But again, you know, uh, as we were kind of, you know, close, uh, uh, he would go, you know, who are you playing, do- who are you playing those with in, uh, in, uh, in, in, in Tokyo? You know, it's like, okay, let's do it. And we play there. I mean, we play in the, we never played any of the big tournaments. Yeah, we never played, I mean, uh, any of the Grand Slams, but um, he was dif- he was different outside he, he outside of the tennis court he was different uh, he, he was uh, he liked to t- had two three scenes he wanted to talk about it and always talked about it he liked his dogs he liked his golf and then uh, uh, once he became a, a, a father he liked to talk about his family so then that's basically um, uh, what he did so the. Um, Very normal things, yes. It's funny. Uh, 
how media can help construct someone's image and then this is how you know uh, the legacy is of course now his cha- his image is uh, much changed since he started coaching uh, Andy Murray and then helped Sasha Zverev uh, but yeah those those are those are good good insights so yeah but I, but, 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 but like you know like if you see somebody only what's on the court, you, you can, you know, it's, it's like uh, probably you say Agassi, you know, he's kind of like uh, on the court, it's like everybody's favorite and it's like, uh, you know, like he's part of your team and then, you know, you you, you go out of the court and and he's by himself and and, and, and and really by himself and he's gone. I mean, nobody saw him. He never in the locker room. He never, you know, you will expect that he'd be somebody, you know, likable to all the people, but you was somebody that you never saw. Uh, in the other hand, guys, guys like, like Connors or like McEnroe, they, they, spend, they spend a lot of time on the... Uh, on the uh, on, on, on the locker room and uh, and and you know and, and and they wanted to make their presence felt and uh, and, uh, and and put pressure from from there on. So you 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 only saw the pressure they put on the court, but those guys put pressure you know from the from the locker room on. Okay, so this this could be. I mean, uh, you can correct me. Uh, this is again going back to my early readings in the eighties when I was a young boy and I read a lot about tennis. So I remember reading in a book by Gunther Bosch, who was coaching Boris Becker, and it could be someplace else too, but I clearly remember reading it, that uh, the locker room environment was different, uh, especially the top 10, there was a different feel, and then the others. So do you remember uh, the locker room environment would be different between the top players and the lower ranked players, and especially the number ones were more like mystery men? Uh, is, it, is, it, is it true? I mean... <laughs> Uh, you can you can correct me because uh, this is what I always wanted to know from a former player who played well, during those years of Lendl, uh, McEnroe, Connors, Becker was young. You were there. Talk about that time. Well, that uh, you know, uh, locker rooms are you know where where the players spend the most time after the court. So that's where you get to see all the other guys. Uh, the guys are. At, you know, differently than others, and and, and 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 obviously you behave one way the day you got a match, and you behave a different way the, the day if you don't have a match. And uh, but uh, you know, you 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 get to 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 get along there, and you you can talk about trivial things like uh, uh, you know if they're football or soccer or. Uh, if, if you're an American, you know, always talking about baseball or basketball or American football, so it seems like that. I mean, the locker is a, is a, um, it's kind of like a, a friendly place where uh, you you get to see everyone, and and, and it's, it wasn't, you know, uh, guys like Connors. He had his his friends, and they're always there. He always always had the guys there. The McEnroe. He more of a loner, and uh, he talked to whoever he wanted to talk one day, and then he probably not talk to anyone uh, the next day. But I guess uh, everybody's like that. Like I say, it's, it's it's different to to it's difficult to say. You know, this guy was like this or was like that. I mean, uh, uh, some some tournaments, some guys uh, were thinking some ways, and then uh, you know, and I bet trying to talk to to Boris or to McEnroe during during Wimbledon time in the locker room was going to be tough, and uh, you know, uh, talking to to, to to Bjorn, he didn't say much, and uh, but in the in the in the locker room, he you know said a few words. Guillermo, on the other hand, Vilas, he would go and talk to everyone who. Who wanted to listen to him, and, uh, and, uh, uh, and and he was pretty open. But then, if he had a match that day, he probably, you know, going to being like an like an oyster for like uh, you know three hours, four hours before the match, and uh, he will say nothing. It's like every every player is different. I, I wouldn't say that uh, uh, the, the locker room was more of a you know the place where you, where where you know. You have your, your your little space and uh, and you use it as you felt you wanted to use it. Absolutely, no. I mean, it's always intriguing because we are fans, and uh, again, that's your workplace, the tennis court, but that's also your back office. 
So let, let me uh, let me try to unpack some of the things you said. Very interesting things, which again, the younger fan of today's uh, tennis, it, it, rightly so, it's all about the Grand Slam, like you said, Australian Open uh, in '88, opened Flinders Park, and it, it became a serious slam. And if you look at Bohr, Connors, McEnroe, even you, uh, Lend, a lot of guys didn't go to Australia because it was held uh, a week before Christmas, or whatever reason, the tour was structured differently. Uh, it used to be five sets in the World Championship tournaments in the United States. So talk about the importance of those tournaments and in, in comparison to what the tour is today. And uh, Because this GOAT conversation is all about Grand Slams and a lot of friends that I've made in the tennis industry, uh, they tell me uh, it's a little unfair because in the previous generation, it was not just about the slams. The tour was structured differently. People were chasing big tournaments and big prize money and a lot of time it didn't come from Grand Slam, especially like Australia. So, uh, and also talk about playing five sets in single week tournaments, which doesn't happen today because the finals were best of five sets. Yeah, well, Australia wasn't only very far, but in the 80s, to go there, you needed to make a couple of stops or really more of like a a one-day flight was like a two, and sometimes even more than that. The other scene that was um, that was tough in Australia was that even if they didn't have a lot of a lot of prize money, also they, they you know it was paid on, uh, on, on on the local currency, and sometimes you got there, and if they had a, a, a drop on it uh, on value, you will go there and uh, you know and get a uh, you know one you know one third less or something like that if uh, if you went at the wrong time you know obviously there were times where were the, the right time and, and, and right at that around then um, they started to um, to use um, you know if you paid in the local currency uh, a value that uh, that you have to put it some some time before so you knew for sure how much you were getting um, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, the big. You know, I think I don't think that it's, it's right that uh, that only people talks about the Grand Slams. I think that, uh, that um, uh, tournaments like like Rome or or, um, uh, or like Kiwi Skane or Indian Wells, that are that, that are tournaments that that are already uh, set there for uh, you know. A good number of years uh, uh, had the history and had the um, uh, the power to be recognized. But now, say you, you know, you have a, a, a master uh, the, the one thousand master one thousand or master yeah whatever they call now the the big tournaments. Uh, but then you go to you gotta go to, to to China and you have these tournaments that have been around for like I don't know seven eight years and uh, they're, and they're you know huge price money and uh, and uh, you know big points and uh, but then you you get not empty stadiums but half half full um, uh, you don't feel the, uh, the the history of the of those tournaments uh, kind of like before you had like also. On, like something like Monte Carlo, you know that that, that even if, I, if 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 it's different now, uh, you feel the the power that you know that it doesn't. Have, it's, it's not only the money that makes the to- the, the tournament powerful. So uh, uh, when Australia came back, um, you know at, at, at the end of the eighties and, and obviously in, in the, from the nineties on, you know quickly became. Uh, a popular tournament because uh, Australians are great fans, and uh, and and the place is is you know it's a good good place to be when, to play a Grand Slam and, and, and enjoy it and, and you know if you're gonna make the long flight you know you're gonna enjoy it at least for three weeks. Uh, they increase everything and, and now probably from uh, from what I listen to on TV they say that. Uh, that is probably the the, the best run uh, slam of all. So uh, changes are are coming and going. Now uh, this year we're going to have for the first year we're going to have uh, uh, the Felicia Triacorta uh, cover 
Um, that's a, a big improvement, and now we have all four Grand Slams with cover courts. So, um, uh, tennis is changing all the time, and, and I think tennis is it's got to come up big out of this situation that we live in this year, too. Uh, let's uh, talk about another event that used to happen quite a lot. You already mentioned uh, Connors and Mack and some of the Americans in playing Roland Garros. But there was also a group of clay court players, uh, I think you were part of that sometimes and sometimes not, that regularly skipped Wimbledon. And uh, sometimes it was because of seeding, sometimes it was just why even go because the grass was a very different surface. I read yeah. one year people... And, and then you look at the ATP archives, uh, there was there's always a clay schedule after Wimbledon. So talk about that. Uh, were you and others justified in skipping Wimbledon? And secondly... A lot of talk is today to restructure the tour. Why is there clay after Wimbledon? I'm totally fine with it, but I hear these arguments and these discussions among fans, among journalists. So talk about uh, those two things, skipping of clay by your generation and younger generation of clay court players, and also uh, if is clay justified after grass in the schedule? Uh, let's see. Uh, I skipped Wimbledon uh, uh. From the 80s to the 90s, I think it's keep Wimbledon once. Um, no more than that. I didn't, I didn't do well. Maybe that's why you, you don't see my name, but, but I didn't do well. Like 80, 81, that was the two first rounds. Uh, let's see, 80, 81, 82. 81, yeah, there were three first rounds coming into Wimbledon at the, at the beginning. And then 83, uh, I didn't play. 84, I got to the quarters, and then uh, I had a couple more round of 16s, and then uh, uh, two couple of second rounds. Uh, but the year that I, that, I, that I should have skipped it, that was 1990, because uh, I, I was mentally finished after winning the, 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 the French. It took, you know, not only uh, from those two weeks, but uh, I was almost three, three, three months in Europe, uh, played over uh, 40 matches on, on, on singles, and I played some doubles too. Uh, but not only that, that the, my year was already full of uh, uh, full of full of matches, and uh, and uh, and I was going to go back to Florida and stay there for uh, for, for the two weeks and just prepare on a, on a grass court that uh, that we had there to, to, to get ready for Wimbledon and, and just go there like maybe four days before the tournament, try to play the, an exhibition and uh, in. Scotland and that I always played and uh, and then and then go there or maybe go to the uh, exhibition in Harlingham uh, uh, that is like uh, two matches in two days and uh, but that was enough um, but I, I, they wanted me to go to come back home after the French so I did and, and I stayed here for like ten days so when I got there I should have just keep it and and uh, and I should have done it and, but. Uh, I felt that uh, you know, being uh, the, the winning a, a Grand Slam and not playing, uh, you know, Wimbledon was wasn't um, uh, you know the right decision to to to, to make. But uh, but I made it, and and and, uh, and I was wrong. I should have skipped Wimbledon and maybe take a month off and uh, and then try to to go back on on, on tour. Well, I came back too early, uh, and I started getting injuries uh, all the time. I was. You know, getting old, too, and uh, and and my my body was big, but uh, but uh, you know the uh, the feeling of uh, uh, the of the courts in, in, on on the grass courts, uh, there were you know big difference. And like I say, you know, the before the the uh, the, the the court uh, different, and, and especially some clay and especially on hardcores or, or indoors and this, of course there were no specialists on on, um, on 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 grass but if you didn't have the big serve you almost had no chance and uh, and then when you start hanging around like some guys like like uh, you know like 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 Solomon or Dips or Barasuti or Higueras you know it's kind of like uh, you start listening to them oh no the grass is it's too fast and, and, and kind of like uh, you rejected to and you feel like uh, okay I'm a clay cutter which wasn't true um, then what happens after uh, after Wimbledon and you keep the, the tournaments on clay in, in Europe uh, 
Um, you know, you get stat. How many years is, is, is this tournament been going on, or or give you? Um, you know, the, the, those tournaments are tradition, and the tradition is to the fans. You know, and uh, and unless they want to change it to hardcore, so you you can have some tournaments on hardcore before going to the uh, um, to the states uh, uh, for the guys that cannot get in or or or, 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 or cannot play the. Uh, Toronto or Cincinnati, you know, that that makes it up for a for a full swing in America. You know, you get the Washington, Toronto, Cincinnati, and basically that, that's it. And and the guys that uh, don't like to play that much on hardcore, or don't want to spend too much time in in, in in America before the Open, they play the uh, the smaller events. But sometimes they cannot play the smaller events either because. Uh, if you have, if you get in into the into the into the into the uh, super series or the master series events, um, you have to you are obligated to play. Um, um, so I'll say that's probably one of the reasons. Uh, journalists, you know, they're always going to be talking about uh, uh, making changes. I don't like the changes too much. Uh, you know, I, I'm not. I, I don't feel comfortable. With changing a whole lot of things all the time, you know, Americans like to play on hardcore. That's that's it. You know, they, they, you know, it was a mistake for them to play it on on on, on hard through on clay on uh, on the uh, on the 70s. You know, when when they realized that uh, that uh, Orantes won it and Villas won it and, uh, and 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 the Americans were done early, especially after Connors was uh, he won it the first year, of course, but then after. Uh, uh, they were they weren't doing well, uh, and they started getting the complaints to the USDA that uh, they needed to play on the faster course, and they moved to flush, and then everything moved to hard course, and uh, that, that was a smart and uh, smart uh, move they made. Yeah, and uh, talk, let's talk about another topic that uh, that gets discussed quite a lot: uh, the appearance fees, and you know, in COVID. Uh, we lived through COVID and, you know, tennis's financial crisis has been talked about. Besides, maybe if you're not top 50 for a long time, it's a very expensive sport to play because there's a lot of international travel, there's coaches, there's, you know, physios, and of course the hotels, the airports and everything. So we've heard from different players uh, through different time uh, during this COVID period and a lot of these stories have come out. Uh, so I know it's, I'm trying to build a background for this question, but then we hear, okay, so-and-so is playing a meaningless tournament. Or, again, no tournament is meaningless, but then there's always this relative discussion. But then there's a case of appearance fees. So then it kind of puts uh, a big picture in question. If you are, say, you make your break as top 20 and you're playing a 250 in Turkey or maybe in Estoril uh, where the field is not big, you, you will get the appearance fee because the appearance fee is also huge for you to keep going. So there are a lot of things that the fans don't understand and we are quick to jump the gun off, oh, should be playing in Cincinnati, why are you staying home for Bashtar or whatever. So now these things make more sense in COVID because if your name is not Djokovic or Federer or Nadal or Murray, you're not making that kind of money. So any money you can make, you know, while you're top 20 or marketable is good. So talk about that stuff. I know this is a very long question. This is more like my view, but I want to hear your views when it comes to appearance fees. And how important it is for a professional tennis player. Um, let's uh, let's put it this way. Um, uh, they one of the things they wanted to make was that to get the, the all the all the best players in the best tournaments. But uh, the best tournaments not are not only the ones that are you know the the, the master the. the, the <laughs> My mind just went off. What was the name of the big tournaments now? Master Mill, Master One Thousand Tennis, One Thousand. Yeah, and, Master One Thousand, and then the World yeah. Tour Finals in London. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, they putting up the money for uh, for you know to trying to get all the all the big players, and, and and that's okay. I understand. That's okay. In in our time, uh, there were you know a couple of big tournaments in. In um, a couple of big tournaments in, in the same week, 
and you choose where to go. You know, some, some Europeans wanted to stay in Europe, they stay in Europe, the, the Americans wanted to stay in America, they play in America. But then some Europeans wanted to come to, to America too, you know. It's a, it'll give you a, a, a chance to, uh, to, um, uh, to compete, uh, you know. And, and then if you're you, you 80 or, 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 or 90 and, and you are just outside of the... Uh, of the qualif or, or in the qualifying of the um, uh, of the master mill, uh, master one thousand. Um, if you don't get in, you know, okay, you get you get your prize money in the qualis too. Okay, but then what? You know, you have one tournament in Washington, and, and not everyone can get in either. Uh, but then you have uh, the tournaments in Europe where. Um, where the guys wanted to wanted to play, and then sometimes now they cannot get all the all the big names that they could get because they they have to play it in, in in Toronto or, or in Cincinnati. Same thing happens when uh, when uh, you're in, uh, in 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 Rome or uh, or in Monte Carlo or in Madrid. You know, you get the tournaments in the states where uh, you played in Atlanta or Charlotte or whatever the other tournament was, uh, or Houston. But you cannot get the big names because the big names got to go to uh, the, the big American names, the ones you want to have in your tournament because they have to go and play it on, on Monte Carlo uh, two months uh, before the, the French. And that's, uh, you know, sometimes it's not helping the the, uh, the all-around tournaments. And... Uh, uh, I'll say that's the only part that I don't that 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 I don't like uh, about it now. When when uh, you know either you play your best 18 tournaments and uh, you have to have the four grand slams there. You have to have at least uh, six out of uh, nine uh, 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 ATP 1000, and then uh, and then you can you know. Full, fill the others with the uh, with the smaller tournaments. And, you know, it's like uh, concentrating on the tour on on, on on 13 tournaments, four Grand Slams, nine, nine uh, ATP to, uh, 1000, and and then uh, the rest of the world. What what what, what are they getting? They're not gonna get uh, you know. Uh, they're not going to get the big names. Before you get in Kitsville, you get guys like uh, I don't know anybody. You get a few a few. Uh, um, top ten players like like Fonini. Fonini used used to play a lot of play after Wimbledon, right? He's one guy who stays back, uh, and some other Europeans have done in the past. I think in in your generation too. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, you know, it's 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 a, it's a it's a choice, you know, that uh, that, that you gotta make. You know, you, okay, you can commit to some tournament. Um, you know, they. they they really what they want is they wanna they wanna have Federer and Nadal or Federer and Djokovic or, or Djokovic and Nadal. If they could have the three, obviously it's gonna be a, a, a bigger event. But uh, they gotta think about all the other guys too, uh, you know. And, and 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 the tournaments are dropping and the tournaments are you know are getting harder to uh, uh, to, to 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 raise money because uh, you know they're not sure if. Uh, uh, they're gonna make Fognini come from from Toronto to Kissville and then to go back to Cincinnati and and probably gonna pay appearance to the player and and the player is not gonna be ready to 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 do what that, what is expected to do. Okay, so let's uh, close this with a couple more questions and I know we are closing in almost an hour. So and any uh, any youngster in today's game or the or the next generation player that impresses you, uh, who who you think will take over. Uh, the game. I know it's mostly like a prediction, but you know, uh, Djokovic is still the best player in the game. Uh, I, I, I don't know what uh, was the the the, um, the meaning of takeover <laughs> because uh, if he's going to be takeover like these guys took over the ne the last sixteen years, I don't see anyone doing that. Yeah, let me rephrase. Uh, takeover is probably a very strong word. Uh, we are waiting for yeah. a first-time major winner. So who seems more promising of this group with uh, Shapovalov, Sitsipas, Zverev, Dominic Team has yes. been there, slightly older. Uh, Nick Sinner, I like Sinner, I like Auger. 
you know, I don't know if uh, Tim, Tim and, and Kyrgios qualified into that group, uh, you know, but uh, they, they, they probably are the two that uh, uh, I could see winning first uh, Grand Slams out of the out of that whole pack. Then you have guys like uh, um, uh, Demi Nauer, pro probably, not now, but probably in five, six years, he could win a, a Grand Slam. It, it's going to be that type of year. Remember remember when uh, uh, when Agassi and, and, and Sampras kind of like uh, stopped stop dominating and Courier, and, and then you, you had, you had uh, Safin, you had Kafelnikov, uh, okay. You have Muster, you had Correcha and Ferrero and, and Costa, uh, you had Guga, uh, and, 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 and you had a lot of guys winning, uh, Johansson, you had a lot of guys winning, uh, yeah. winning Grand Slams, and, uh, and, 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 and that is something that I expected to be, uh, how it's going to be uh, uh, once the victory returns. Uh, once they, they, you know, probably Federer um, will retire earlier than, than and Nadal will be right away, and I'll say probably uh, Djokovic is going to wait a little longer. But uh, but but you will start having um, different guys winning, um, and, and 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 even a guy like uh, Monfils could sneak one in the next. Two years, depending on how the the victory is doing. Uh, that that's the the, the type of a uh, uh, generation that is going to come. I mean, the next generation is going to really be a, a generation of different guys from sure. that are probably 25, 26 now. Feeling lesser, like 19, 20 right now. Five, six, seven guy. You know, strain of guys that is going to be a. Uh, powerful, you know, even a guy like, uh, you know, Berrettini can sneak in and, uh, uh, you know, it's a, it's a couple of good French players that are coming up. Um, obviously, uh, in, in Spain, he's got to have players, but uh, but but unless he gets to, to top three, they're not going to talk about him because uh, you, you see what happens to Bautista. He's top ten, he wins tournaments and uh, beats uh, Djokovic a few times and um, they don't, he doesn't have he doesn't get any credit of what he's doing so it, uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a tough situation in some countries especially in, in Switzerland Serbia well Serbia's got a few a few young players coming up too that are, that are you know that, that are not known right now not heard about it right now but they're probably are, uh, are gonna be a big, uh, a big impact. Okay, and uh, let's wrap this up with the Roland Garros. So there are talks that it's going to be held last week of September going into October. So the weather will be slightly different with the... Uh, Chartres has a roof if it rains. Uh, Paris, I think the, the weather changes. It's not going to be summer there. It's going to be fall. So, of course, Nadal is the huge, huge favorite. You know, you can have it on you know during snow and he'll still win it. But is this the opportunity where things can change and we don't even know uh, who will show up and, you know, how COVID-related things will open tennis because travel, there's so many logistics. So if all things were equal, uh, you think this is an opportunity for someone else to maybe challenge Nadal? Uh, he still remains the overwhelming favorite if the tournament is in October. Uh, yeah, I think he's the favorite. I, I, you know, I'm not going to bet against a guy that has won 12, 12 times the tournament. So, <laughs> um, um I think uh, uh, Paris is 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 a good opportunity, but uh, but it's going to be tough, you know. If they if they could have like like two courts or three courts with uh, with uh, uh, cover, then 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 it'll be different. But uh, on clay with uh, one court cover, I don't think it you know um, it'll, it'll happen. It'll be very I'll be very surprised if it happens. If it happens probably before they. Uh, what the U.S. Open uh, is supposed to open, then then maybe. Uh, I don't mind uh, going. Uh, actually, they 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 probably are talking right now about what's going to happen, and they make the announcement on, on Monday of what's going to happen on, on 
when is the next uh, communication about uh, about tournament. But I wouldn't mind at all uh, playing two parallel seasons. I mean, uh, you know, U.S. Open and 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 French close, separate weeks, but close. Uh, for example, uh, Cincinnati against Rome and Toronto against Madrid and, and Indian Wells against, uh, uh, Mon- no, well, not Monte Carlo, but uh, against another tournament on clay. Uh, I think I'd, I'd, you, will, you will get a chance for, for, uh, for more jobs uh, after, uh, you know, four months without jobs. And that's where, coming back to what you said at the beginning, you know, when, where, where there is a, just a, a bunch of guys that, are, you know, that, that they can stay without playing and be, you know, and be doing well. Uh, it's a lot of more guys that need to, that need to play. And, uh, and I think uh, um, double up weeks uh, uh, could be interesting. Well, that's, uh, that's a really uh, interesting uh, suggestion right there. And maybe it happens. We, we, we don't know. But, uh, yeah, th- thanks for coming uh, to the show, Andre. It was an absolute pleasure. And I enjoyed this conversation. Yes, I just wanted to tell you that I, 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 one of my practice partners a lot was Ramesh Krishnan. With, uh, you know, obviously you know Ramesh. Of course. Yeah. Uh, uh, we live together in uh, we live in uh, in the same place where we're practicing with uh, with Hopmans. Obviously, Hopmans uh, he he knew uh, Ramanathan a lot, and um, you know, uh, uh, and Ramesh was uh, one of his favorites. So, so with Ramesh we had a, a great friendship, and uh, also uh, he's a year younger than me. Uh, we play a lot of juniors together, and. Um, we practice a lot. Uh, once um, Mr. Hoffman passed away, we stayed there and, uh, and we, we played a lot with uh, Colón Núñez, my coach. He used to coach uh, Ramesh. Uh, but it was fun. It was fun talking to you. It was good. Different. 